Okay, so last week was wonderful. This week is joyful. So pray for me next week. I'm running out of fulls to uh, uh, put at the end, find words that fit that mold. But uh, I think we'll, I think we'll be okay. If uh, maybe it just rhymes, that'll that'll be okay. Uh, hope you have a Bible, and if you do, we're gonna open up to Judges chapter three this morning. Uh, we'll end up at the later part of Judges, uh, talking about the story of Samson by the uh, middle of our message or so. But uh, glad to be here. Uh, thankful. Uh, for God's uh, saving power. And we're going to hear a lot about that today. Um, Okay, so is anybody familiar with, especially if you grew up in the 80s or the 90s, I'm sure you are. And if you aren't, then it's just another, yet another example of me being out of touch and bringing up random stuff that just doesn't land with people. But I don't think so. I don't think this is the case. Are any of y'all familiar with the Choose Your Own Adventure series? Anybody remember those things? Nobody? Never? Okay. Um, well, that makes me feel real good. They, they were published. You remember? Okay. Somebody was. They were published in the 80s and the 90s. This, this, uh, you're wondering, where are we going with this? Uh, I don't really know. So 80s, 90s, these Choose Your Own Adventure books were very popular. At least I thought they were popular. I liked them when I was a kid. Um, they were children books, uh, children's books that uh, were written in several different ways with several different narrative options where you could engage with a different story depending on the choices you made. So they were like, I think that the little tagline says there's 19 possible endings to the story. Uh, now, a lot of inter- entertainment has adopted this. If you watch some series on Netflix, they actually let you like, interact with that kind of stuff. Um, video games, board games, obviously have adopted this kind of choose-your-own-adventure style or have kind of spearheaded that style. Um, now, uh, there, I, had, I had two different introductions for the message today. Uh, one of them I had in the works, and I wasn't really happy about it, but you know, sometimes you just kind of hit publish and go with it, but, uh, or hit print and go with it. I, I had an illustration, and I... I wasn't really happy about it, but then something else came to my attention and I thought, well, that's really awesome. And uh, it was kind of a recent discovery, recent um, uh, a published thing. And I thought, well, that's a better way to introduce this message than whatever else I was gonna go with. Um, now, I'm only preaching this message once today, so I had to pick one illustration to uh, launch from today. So, uh, but imagine, imagine, and of course, I'm, go- I'm sure you're gonna lay awake tonight thinking about this. Imagine if this was a choose your own adventure message and you could select which option you wanted to go with and uh, uh, maybe it would suit you best. But nonetheless, uh, there's no way to do that with all of us in the same room. Maybe I'll experiment with that, with, with that one day. I probably won't, but uh, uh, if, if you're really interested, let me know. Um, but uh, I'll dangle in front of you and let your imagination run wild with, uh, with the, the two options. And, and of course, we're gonna go with one. Um, so the two potential illustrations today, were, one was an economic illustration. I know that's really riveting. Um, and the other was a scientific illustration. Of course, maybe that one isn't any more riveting than the, the previous. But, uh, uh, and I know at this point, you're probably thinking, Justin, we came to church for spiritual illustrations. And I know, we'll get there. Um, y'all know how this works. Um, I, I came for theological il- illustrations. And, and yeah, we'll get there. If you don't know me or if you're not used to me, then, um, then you know, we'll work through this. Well, I think we'll get to a good place today. Um, but uh, sometimes I think it's helpful to bring in, you know, different illustrations to kind of help us see that God's word ties into things more maybe than you would have realized into your uh, practical life. Now, to everybody's surprise, I chose to go with the scientific illustration. So I'm sure everybody's shocked in, in, in all of that because, uh, of course, that's what we do here a lot. But um, I had a really good economic illustration workshop and prepared, but then I started thinking it would just make people feel bad and it would just make people ha- have negative ideas and thoughts and make people ill. And I didn't want to do that in church. So it was about 
inflation and gas prices and I thought, man, it's gonna work out so well. But then I thought, nobody wants to hear about that. So thank God there was an intervention from the heavens, literally from the heavens that saved this message from whatever it was going to be. So uh, honestly, uh, there's something really cool that happened this past week. It might not be cool to you, but it was cool to me. And, and again, I'm wearing this for right now. So at least bear with me. I think it'll be, a, uh, I, I, think, I don't think you'll be gnashing, weeping and gnashing your teeth through this, uh, uh, not entirely. Um, but uh, something really cool happened. And uh, I, I think that uh, as I got to digest, it happened in the middle of the week and I got to reading about it and thinking, man, that is a really awesome thing in general, but it really ties into what we're going to talk about today. So a couple of days ago, the Event Horizon Telescope, which is a project that NASA works with, works on along with all the other institutions around the world. So this isn't just this isn't the Hubble telescope that we have in, under our control. This is a, a, a project that all the teams around the world searching the stars, studying the stars, work on together. The Event Horizon Telescope uh, was able to finally capture images of the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Now you've been, you've been looking through your own telescope on top of your house for all these years. You're like me, you can't get to the center because it doesn't go that far. Uh, but uh, the Event Horizon Telescope, which is this massive endeavor by all these different teams, uh, capturing images and doing all this search work together. The Event Horizon Telescope finally got an image. Now it's very blurry, I'll, I'll go ahead and warn you. Finally got an image of the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And, and, and again, I promise this is gonna go somewhere cool. So. Um, if you didn't know, the Milky Way galaxy is our home. Uh, it is the uh, it is where our solar system uh, is is you know in rotation uh, around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, it, it, our solar system is one of many star systems that is rotating around the center of the Milky Way galaxy as a member of the Milky Way galaxy. So this is of course the Milky Way, and when you look up at the, up at the night sky, you essentially see that image from your perspective. The Milky Way galaxy is a massive, massive star system, uh, one of many galaxies in the universe, but this is where we call home. And when you look up at the night sky, you see stars and planets and comets and all sorts of things from the Milky Way. Now, um, this week's discovery revealed that all of the 3,020 star systems, so we're a star system, the sun is our, uh, where we rotate around, our sun and its planets our one star system, there are 3,000 more star systems around the Milky Way galaxy, and they're all rotating around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And this past week, uh, the Event Horizon Telescope finally got an image of the center. And this is it. Now, Again, that just looks like a, a, a blurry picture of the sun, right? But that is a pretty amazing thing that we've been working to get a, an image of for all these years. Now, one day it'll be clearer, but right now that's the best we got. And you can Google and find out more information if you'd like to. But this is a picture of what's at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And in case you're not up on your, your star studying, that is a black hole, not so black, right? Uh, but that is a black hole. Of course, the middle of it, right, kind of looks like a donut uh, uh, with, uh, well, I don't know, it kind of looks like a couple of different things, but it is a black hole. Now, we're, we've known forever that uh, there is something at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. There's something that is pulling all of our systems around and, and keeping us within its reach. Uh, we wondered, was it a supernova? Was it a massive sun or a massive star? Uh, but studies this week and, and research has finally paid off. There is a black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. 
galaxy. Now, most of us know a little bit about black holes. Maybe you've watched some sci-fi movies and you've seen what happens when you get near a black hole and that makes you kind of you know, paranoid and kind of worried. Uh, uh, most people know black holes to be like potholes in space. Now, if you've ever ran over a pothole before in some of the parking lots around here, there's plenty of them, right? You know, if you ran over, run over one, it doesn't feel good and it might blow your tire out. And uh, there's probably all, we've all got stories about, uh, about that sort of thing. Uh, black, black holes are like potholes in space, but much, much worse, uh, much worse. Uh, the, a black hole is so very dense that it creates a massive gravitational pocket in space and it causes uh, a, a great pull on everything around it that nothing can withstand its exertion. Now, most people think black holes are like vacuums that just kind of are just pulling and sucking things in. But the better analogy of a black hole is really a buzzsaw, which maybe that's not really a better analogy. That's just the real analogy. Uh, when it gets near something or something gets near it, it it's kind of edges begin to kind of tear it to pieces and it consumes some of the things, but the rest of the stuff get kind of spun out into space. So the goal is never get near a black hole, right? So if you're ever in space and you're flying around in your rocket ship with uh, all the billionaires, right? Don't ever get near a black hole. That's not going to work out good for you. But I don't, think, I don't think you could get to the center of the Milky Way galaxy in your lifetime. So don't worry. You're probably not ever going to get near one. But there is one at the center of our galaxy. Uh, so there are lost and wandering stars throughout our galaxy constantly, every single day being taken under, taken in by this very black hole. But don't worry, there is a way to be saved from a black hole. There is a way to be saved from a black hole's pull if an object is under pressure from an as strong or stronger force. So a black hole is pulling everything in, but if an object like a planet or a, or a star or a comet or whatever, a moon, if an object is pulled by an as strong or stronger force, it can be spared from this space pothole. Now, thanks to the 3,200 plus stars in our galaxy, there is hope for the thousands of planets that are uh, in space. Now, which all that really matters to us is that there is a star massive enough to pull us into orbit and thus counter the black hole's Four. So you didn't come to church today to know how everything works in the universe, but you learned something, right? Maybe not from the rest of this, but you learned something that there is a black hole pulling us in, but there is something as strong or stronger pulling us in the opposite direction, keeping us from spiraling to the center of our galaxy. And that something is, of course, the sun. Our sun exerts the necessary gravitational pull to, pu to pull us into orbit, and it perfectly complements the Earth's mass. So we are where we are in the galaxy because the sun is pulling us at an opposite rate that the black hole is pulling us, and the Earth is just the right weight that it fits into space exactly where it does. Now, if you wanted even more reasons to give God praise, let me just introduce to you just how unlikely it is that the earth would be where it's at. But scientists call where we're at a Goldilocks zone and they believe there is a 0.009% likelihood that any planet in our galaxy could fall in this perfect placement where it's not getting pulled in by the black hole, where it's not too close to the sun or too far from the sun because if it was too close, water would be uh, gas. If it was too far, water would be ice. And that's why there is only one planet like our planet that has water that sustains life that we call our home. 
So that's pretty incredible. Even if that's kind of way out of your league, I think we can agree that's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? That our God designed all this and he's allowed us to kind of get a glimpse of how it all works. And we don't know everything, but our God has allowed us to see just how things are working together. And he designed all this. And we are in the very, very unlikely spot in space to where we can call this earth our home. So long story short, if not for the sun pulling the earth at, right, at the right pace, the right force, then we would be inevitably and helplessly sucked into the Milky Way's black hole. Now, we kind of already knew this. We just now have a more clear understanding of what exactly our sun is protecting us from. So this incredible discovery just gave us even more proof, even more reasons for us to be thankful for the sun. Last week, we started a very, uh, we started a new study um, on the book of Judges, specifically narrowing in on one family, one particular judge that God would raise up through that family. Uh, what we realize early and often in the book of Judges is that uh, the, the judge's generation really is that the children of Israel were not prepared for life in the promised land. It was promised to them, but they weren't prepared for it, even though God tried to prepare them for it. Uh, the children of Israel, uh, when they got freedom and they got the opportunity without a strong leader like Moses or Joshua, they just weren't able to stay on the right track and find the right path to sustain the life that God intended for them uh, to, to enjoy. Moses warned them. Moses warned them dozens of times, but most famously in Deuteronomy 8, Moses warned them that God's bringing you to a good land and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So this is God's blessing to you. So God is giving this to you. It's a good land. You're gonna eat and be full. And he said this, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and dug vineyards and have all the prosperity, lest when you have eaten and are full, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Joshua echoed Moses' warning when he gave his farewell address. We looked at this last week. Joshua said, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Moses and Joshua both warned them, but they did not take heed, they did not remember, they did not choose, and so they forgot. And so they were tempted to run away from God, and that's exactly what they did. And by turning to other gods, and they were enslaved by those gods' kings and the lands that those gods were from or worshipped in, the people became slaves to other nations, and they became in uh, bondage and oppressed by other nations as a consequence of worshipping those other nations' gods. But none of this was a surprise to God, because at the center of us all, 
Behind the scenes and the way it all works spiritually, at the center of every person, at the center of humanity, there is a force that is pulling us away from God. There is something that is causing us to drift away from God. Even when we are in the blessings that he's given us, even when we've been led by his hand out of bondage into the promised land, there is something in all of us pulling us from God, away from life, away from good, away from what's best. So God wasn't surprised by the drift of the judge's generation because he actually expected it to happen. And it turns out without something pulling them in the opposite direction, creating a pathway of sustainability, the people seemed destined to drift. So God began to raise up judges, deliverers, to save the people from oppression and bondage, to help pull the people back the other direction. And, and the people would fall into bondage. They'd cry out for help. God would raise up a judge. The nation would be pulled back to God's canopy. And for a short season, they would remain in him. But then the judge would pass away and then the cycle would restart and the people would drift away again. And that's what the whole book of Judges is essentially about. They cry out, the judge pulls them in, God is over them once again, but then they drift back away. Now these judges, if you didn't know, I think it's pretty obvious, these judges are a picture of Jesus because they are temporary saviors, whereas Jesus is an eternal, constant, and continual savior and deliverer. Uh, these judges, unlike Jesus, did not last forever. He is a better judge. He is a better deliverer. He is the ultimate savior. And he is the son, S-O-N, that doesn't just pull us out of sin, but he places us into his orbit and sets us on a new and better path. And he does this by putting his life in us, his power, his spirit in us. We've been studying this on Wednesday nights, but this is what the Bible describes salvation as, or how the Bible describes salvation, Ezekiel 36. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and will clean you from your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And this is what he's gonna do for everyone that believes. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh or a heart that can handle true and better life. A heart where my spirit can dwell and make a difference in your life and begin to counter the impact and effect of sin. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians, I say, walk by this spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Or as in the early analogy, hey, stay in orbit around the sun and you won't get pulled into something that's going to ultimately destroy you. Now that word walk by is a really interesting word in the Greek. It literally means to orbit. It means to walk around. It means to rotate. It means to keep your eye on the center. And as you walk, make sure you realize that you're staying in step with or make sure that you stay close to that center point. Walk circumspectly is the literal translation. Now, I wanna show you a few examples in the book of Judges where God first began filling people with his spirit, where he first began raising up deliverers but what he was doing in Judges was brand new. It was never done before this point in history and would be a preview of what he would do later on in history. Now, uh, in, in Judges, what he does, again, never happened before in history. Now, you know this, God's spirit dwelled with Adam and Eve in the garden. 
He walked with them, he talked with them, he dwelt with them. But when they sinned, his spirit left them. And of course, all humanity was apart from God, separated from God. Now we don't hear about the spirit of God or his spirit anymore until you get to Mount Sinai. And the only person that experienced God's spirit was Moses on the top of the mountain. And God told Moses, you build this tabernacle and make all these you know, separate rooms and I'm gonna meet with the high priest in a very specific place for a limited amount of time and only limited people will get to experience me for the rest of the people. So they built the temple or the tabernacle before the temple and in the tabernacle, there was a holy place where the spirit of God would temporarily dwell with limited access by limited people. But in Judges, as God began to raise up these deliverers, these judges walk, uh, these judges are filled with the Spirit of God in a personal way. Never before it happened before, uh, happened in history, and they exclusively experienced something that nobody else in their generation got to, and no one else would for a long, long time to come. So I want, to, I want you to walk with me through the book of Judges. We're going to end up at the end, but I want to show you a few examples of God's spirit dwelling in hearts. And I'm showing you this because this was the first time it had ever happened. So it should be a thing that we flag and say, wow, that's a big deal. So Judges 3 verse 10, this was the first judge God raised up. His name was Othniel. Judges 3 verse 10 says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel and he judged Israel. And you can read about what he did for Israel. But let's move on. Chapter 6 verse 34. So highlight that verse and, and let's go to the next one. Chapter 6 verse 34. This is the story of Gideon. And it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So not just came to Gideon or around Gideon, but into his heart. Again, never happened before. Othniel, Gideon. So if somebody ever give you, gives you a quiz, hey, who was the first person? The spirit of God dwelt in their heart. It was Othniel. And after him, it was Gideon. And then over in chapter 11, we'll read about another guy. His name was Jephthah. Verse 29 of that chapter, highlight this one. The spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and began to judge the people. So again, I know those verses are kind of inconsequential, but I show them to you to show you something that had never happened before and would only happen to a very select few for a time to come. Now, chapter 13, verse 25, we ended here last week. We heard about Samson's parents hearing of his announcement and, or of his conception, his announcement. And here is... The introduction to Samson, verse 24, 25. The woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at uh, Mahana Dan between Zorah and Esteol. So here we have Samson, the next in line. And there were other judges, but we don't see that the God's spirit dwelt in them specifically like he did these four. But maybe there were more uh, that just don't, we just don't aren't told about. But we, are, we do know this is the first time anything like this happened in history, and that's a pretty big deal. Um, now, what God was doing in Judges, he was filling the heart of the judge and they would act as a savior to lead the nation back to God. So as we already discussed, the judges, when they would die, the nation would fall back away. So that's what makes Jesus, obviously, the greater version of the rescue story. Uh, God's spirit wasn't just within Jesus uh, temporarily, that Jesus is God incarnate. But even better than that, Jesus died and rose again in the spirit of God. And all that believe in him 
receive the very same spirit that he operated by, that he was full of, that God himself put upon him. That you and I, as believers, the spirit of God dwells in us as it did in Jesus, as it did these judges. And that creates this tethering effect that we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. So in a way, these, the judges, the judges' generation is a picture of both Jesus and us. He's the savior, of course, but we also, by putting our faith in him, can receive his spirit, the presence of God, the power of God. So in a sense, the judges are previews, not only of Jesus, but also us as they receive the promise of God. And and what I think makes them more pictures of us than Jesus is is Jesus is perfect. He's God in flesh, but they were just people. They were just sinful, fallible, fallen sinners like we are, but they were able to be led by God, filled with his presence. At the end of the day, uh, they were deliverers, but they also were just regular people. None of the judges convey this dualistic message more than the last judge in the story, and that's Samson. You see, there are moments where Samson clearly points to Jesus. There are moments when you read the story and think, obviously, that's a picture of Jesus. But there's also moments where Samson, I mean, no offense, he looks like us. And and I don't mean that to be too crass to everybody, but, you know, he looks kind of like us, bumbling, stumbling, messing things up, sinning with the best of them or the worst of them. There are moments you read about Samson, you're thinking, this is the guy that God chose? This is the man that was anointed by God? I mean, it doesn't look like anything special. He actually looks like a whole lot of uh, mess. Now, God nonetheless chose to make his presence known to Samson. God chose that and God allowed that and, and, and knew all that he, the flaws he had anyway. He filled Samson with his spirit in the same way that every Christian receives the spirit of God at salvation. When we are saved, when we put our faith in Jesus, when we are by faith through grace baptized into him and into his family, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. This is not a second work. It's not a a, a limited thing that you have to get later. When you are saved as a Christian, the Spirit of God moves into your heart. Now, again, this is a recap for what we've been talking about on Wednesdays, but I, I don't think this is preached enough. And I don't think that this is talked about enough within the church. Romans 6 says, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Can you say that first part with me? Just as Christ was raised, we too. Do you hear that? Just as Christ, we too. It's a big statement, isn't it? that just as he was raised up, we too might be raised up in the newness. And what does the newness of life mean? That is the spirit of God who gives us new and better life. Romans 8, 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies or salvation to your mortal bodies. So again, if you are a Christian, if you are saved, this is not an option for you. This is a reality that God has made true for you. The spirit of resurrection, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, right? God himself dwells in you. It's this, it's only this that keeps us in step with God. It keeps us from drifting away from God and unraveling because of sin and the enemy's plans to destroy us because by all means he has plans to destroy us. Just like the sun saves our planet 
and keeps it in the right place. Jesus has saved us and he has put his spirit within us. And that's what keeps us in the right spot. That's what keeps us in him. Likewise, the spirit of God within us is constantly drawing us to God, protecting us and delivering us from temptation. Think about how Jesus taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not and deliver us as in, I don't wanna ever be tempted, but if I am tempted, deliver me. Lead us not, lead me not, but if I am led or if I do walk in that direction and I shouldn't, but if I do, lead me not, but by all means, deliver me from. That is the power of the Holy Spirit, keeping you in that right zone before God, saved from sin. But if we don't lean into his presence, if we don't lean into his presence and depend on him and defer to him, the exertion, the pull from sin will pull us away from God, from dwelling with God, and most of all, from the joy found in serving the Lord. The life of Samson is a perfect example of the two potential pathways that we can take as believers every day. In chapters 14 and 15, we find a Samson that is in step with the Spirit. We find a Samson that is renewed by and refilled by the Spirit. But then in chapter 16, we see a Samson that is completely out of touch with God. The Spirit of God is mentioned multiple times in chapters 14 and 15, but he is not mentioned in chapter 16. And it's obvious why, because Samson is seeking pleasure and fulfillment apart from God. He gives in to temptation and, 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 and risk everything, honestly. Now we'll deal with his flaws next week, but the rest of our time today, I, I wanna take, I wanna talk about the joy that was on display in and within Samson's heart and life. And I wanna talk, wanna focus on how the same joy that Samson had is available to us. The same joy in knowing God and following God, being filled by God, that same joy at staying right where we need to be with the Lord, that same joy is available to you. And God desires that our hearts be filled with this joy. And, and I wanna talk about how that joy can be found and how that joy can be sustained. I think a lot of us, myself included, I think a lot of us are leaving joy on the table. By all means, we, are, we underestimate the exertion of the world, of the enemy to steal our joy, to take our joy, to burn us out and frustrate us and cause a life of devotion to God to, be a, to appear less than or appear inferior to or not desirable as. Last week, we talked about how God wanted to bring a breakthrough to the nation by working wonders in the midst of the people in ways they had never thought were possible. Well, I truly believe that we are in need of another breakthrough from the Spirit of God. We are all in many ways burnt out and frustrated. We've been led astray. We are drained of the joy that is available to us. A lot of us won't consider coming to God for guidance because we believe the devil's lies that God's ways isn't better. But listen, Jesus spoke the gospel on many occasions, but maybe never more powerful than this one in John 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may, or that you may, have life and have it abundantly. 
So that doesn't always mean victorious and prosperity and health and strength that this world says, hey, is important. But that does say, I have come to give you a life of joy, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life that is sustained in the presence of God. And the enemy tries to steal that joy and kill that connection and destroy your potential. I have come to give you life that you might have it abundantly. And that's not measured in dollar signs. It's not measured in appearance. It's not measured in things of this world. It's measured in something unquantifiable by the world. It's measured in the joy in your heart. Jesus taught about what it meant to find life in him and serve him. God wants to fi- us to find this joy. And this joy is only found with a, in a life in his spirit. If there's one thing on display in the stories of Samson is that he was having a good time. He was genuinely having a good time. He was enjoying his time as God's judge. It wasn't a burdensome task. It wasn't a wearisome task. It was a pleasure. It was an awesome opportunity. And and I want to just read a couple of those stories to you. And and just kind of, they're kind of humorous. They're kind of funny. They're kind of lighthearted. But God called him to be a warrior for the nation. And he was having a good time doing it. Look at Judges 14 and listen to verse 5 through 14. And, And again, this is a story you probably remember from Sunday school, but we don't preach about this a lot. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. To his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, which I don't think I could tear apart a young goat, but uh, I don't know about you, but he must have made a habit of that. Tore it apart, though he had nothing in his hand. So he just ripped him to pieces with his own hands. And he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman. She pleased Samson Wells. This was the woman that he was betrothed to. And after some time, when he returned to get her or to marry her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So he's just walking around, like, you know, eating with a honey jar in his hand, just hanging out. Uh, and, and, and then it says, when he came to his father and mother, he gave, them, gave some to them. And they also ate. And he did not tell, him, tell them that he had taken it from the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave her a feast for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to, to be with him and they were trying to uh, 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 jump him because this was enemy territory. And, and then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. So he, they're coming to kill him and he's thinking, hey, I'm not, no big deal. I'm the strongest man alive. Y'all wanna hear a riddle? And you're thinking, Samson, isn't there more serious things to talk about? But Samson, he gives him a riddle. And down in verse 14, the riddle is, out of the eater came something sweet and out of the strong came something, or came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. So Samson says, y'all wanna hear a riddle about how I got this honey? No, Samson, we're here to kill you. And and again, this is a lighthearted story that doesn't really fit in with a lot of the Bible stories, but it's proof that Samson had a big personality. And Samson was one of a kind. And, And if you read all the different judges stories, none of them are the same. None of them are like Samson and that's okay. This has always been one of the helpful inspirations to me in ministry and really just in life. Because in ministry, you often think that you've gotta be a certain way, you gotta look a certain way, talk a certain way, preach a certain way, use certain illustrations and do certain things. And early and often in my ministry, I realized that I was never, I was by no means gonna continue to do this if I had to be like everybody else. And, And people literally told me, hey, Justin, you should be this way and you should be like this, you should act like that. And after a while of pretending to be what people wanted me to be, I finally said, forget that. God didn't call me to be them. He called me to be me. 
That God accepted me and called me and anointed me with a, with a gift and a calling that, that, that is for me and, and, and unique to me. And, and I want to encourage all of you that like Samson, a unique and, and big personality, he was who he was. And, and, and God has called all of us individually, uniquely. He loves all of you. And he has a unique path for you. You don't have to be like somebody else. You don't have to conform to somebody else's worldly image of who you should be and how you should act and what you should do with your life. God is the one who called you. And God is the one who takes joy in your unique individual distinctions. And, and that is something that I think the church doesn't talk about enough. And it may be that the reason why you're not full of the joy that's available to you is because you're trying to get a hold of somebody else's joy. And isn't it true that in your families, in your marriages, in your workplace, if you try to get joy that's not for you and you try to cram something into your life that isn't for you, then no wonder things just feel like they're not in the right place. You, we have all, uh, we have to step up and realize that we can be who we are for God's glory and to seek using the gifts he's given us for his glory. Look at this connection of verses in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him or her to which God has called him or her. So each one of us has been called by God and gifted by God. And God's spirit chooses to dwell in each one of us for who we are and as we are, because there's things that you can do that I'll never be able to do. And things that you are called to do that I'll never be called to do. And that's okay. Because you and I are called by the same God with the same spirit, seeking to leverage our unique individual lives. But here's what Paul does after that. He says, you, you're all individually called to so be the person God's called you to be, but then he qualifies it. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So if there's something in your life that you can't do for God's glory, by all means, get rid of it. If God wants to purify who you are and purge the sin, allow him to do that. But seek a life for God's glory. That's what it's all about. Seek a life full of his spirit with his joy for his glory. That's what God's will for you is. It doesn't take away your individuality or personality, but it, 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 it hones you and sharpens you into the person that God desires you to be. Listen, you won't all be Samson's. We won't be ripping lines apart and telling jokes about it, but we can have the same joy that he had. He had that joy because he relied on and continually welcomed the spirit of God into his life. Down in verse 19, we see this attempt to harm him. The spirit of God came upon him mightily. So see, we, we have this constant emphasis that God's spirit was on or in and working through Samson because he made himself a willing and available vessel. Samson was called to be a warrior for the nation. So obviously his stories are bombastic over the top, but I think his, the spirit of his story can still inspire us because the same spirit of God wants to dwell in us and lead us. Now, over in chapter 15, there's a neat story about how Samson went down to a village in Judah that had been taken over by the Philistines. The Jewish leaders are worried that Samson might make things worse. So they asked Samson to work with them. They say, Samson, can we tie you up and take you to the Philistines as if we're gonna turn you over to them? And we believe that you'll be able to work yourself out of this mess because we've seen you rip lions apart and we've seen you take a fox by its tail and you know, destroy armies. We know what you can do, Samson. So we're gonna tie you up we're going to deliver you to the Philistines and wink, wink, nod, nod. We're going to surrender, but we know something's going to happen. So we're going to leave that into your hands. Down in verse 13 of chapter 15, look, listen to how this story goes. So they promise him, no, we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will not kill you. They, and they bound him with two ropes and they brought him up, up, up from the rock. 
And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arm became like flax that is burned with fire and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He reached out his hand and took it and he killed the thousand men army. And he says, or he sang with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was when he'd finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called that place Ramath Lehi. Now, after this, Samson gets tired. Samson worries that people didn't appreciate him or understand him. He wonders if his efforts are worth it. So he cries out to God. Look at verse 18. He became very thirsty so that he cried out to the Lord. You have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and the water came out and he drank it. And notice there was something more than just a physical thirst, but he spiritually needed that renewal. It says that the spirit, his spirit returned and he was revived. So he was burnt out. He was frustrated. Even Samson as full of life as he was. He needed that renewal. Therefore, he called its name in Hakor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he went on to judge Israel for 20 more years. Samson was determined to not stay in step or to stay in step with God. He prayed for revival and renewal, that his joy would remain full. Church, I think it would do, it would do all of us well to echo Samson's cry today. His prayer in verse 18 is similar to his mom's rationale back when her, his dad was worried that, that God's promise to them was somehow not for them. And his mom said, do you think God would do all this to us and for us to only to harm us? Of course, God meant good for us. And Samson knows that God wanted him to stay full and stay in step. He was determined to not lose his joy. In church, we should be as determined today to not let our guard down and drift away and become bitter and frustrated and miserable and depressed. And, and that's something that all of us experience, isn't it? Even doing what you've been called to do, married to who you love and with families that you love, you can find yourself a little bit running on empty, running a little bit weak. Now, if we desire him, if we desire the joy found in serving him, he will revive us, he will renew us like he did Samson. If you're looking for a breakthrough of joy today, I believe there is hope. I believe there is one for you today. Nehemiah, years later, spoke the words trying to reignite the passion of his, uh, his people in the nation of Israel. He said, the joy, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible tells us that God rejoices over us. He delights in dwelling with us. We must remain at this place where our relationship to him and with him is not just a checkbox, not just a ritual, not just emotion we're going through. So in closing, I wanna give you a few things that I think will help you keep in step with the spirit. Keep your spirit aflame, keep your joy full, keep you strong in the joy of the Lord. Number one, I need you to remember that joy is found in God's presence. And I want you to write that verse down. I'm gonna read it to you, but I want you to look, at the, look this up today. Maybe you can memorize this verse. You can turn there if you'd like to, but this is what it says in 1 Chronicles 16. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness and joy are in his place. So where is joy found? In God's presence. 
So where is joy and gladness found? In the presence of God. Now, God's presence is always with you. His spirit is always within you. But the question is, are you in tune with him? Because if you get out of tune with him, that joy will go and it will be replaced by all the miserable things of this world. That's why the Bible emphasizes, that's why we preach the importance of church and worship and fellowship, that we might come together around God's people, around God's word, so our focus might be on him, so that we might welcome the fullness of his presence in our hearts. Joy is found in God's presence. Number two, joy is found in our pursuit. Our pursuit of God, our pursuit of his plan. Psalms 37, you know this verse, delight yourself to the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Not that God will give you everything you want, but that God will put in your heart the desires that you will be satisfied by, that you will be fulfilled by. God will begin to show you this is what will give you a joyful life. This is what I've called you to do. This is what will order your steps. We turn our hearts to God. We turn our hearts over to God, make ourselves a vessel that can be filled with his plan and his presence. Joy is found in our pursuit of God. So the question is, are you dwelling in his presence? Are you allowing his presence to be constant and overbearing in your life? Are you allowing his presence to be over you and around you? And are you welcoming his presence into your life? Are you pursuing him? like as you pursue the rest of the world, more so even. Number three, joy is found within God's parameters, as in within God's will, within God's boundaries. Psalms 40 verse eight says, I delight in doing your will, O God. So where is joy found? In doing God's will. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is fleeting. You go do something fun, you wanna do something again the next day because that happiness left. Joy is constant. It's forever. It's found within doing the will of God. If we're out of God's will, disobeying God, we'll lose our joy in a minute. Jesus said that if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love and my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. God's not trying to trick you and keep you from doing what's, keep you from good. He has your best in mind and joy is found within his will and parameters for your life. And lastly, joy is found in our persistence, our faithfulness. This verse is from a famous parable that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. And he talked about that one who used his talents and gifts faithfully And at the end of his life, the master says, well done, now good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Faithfulness will result in joyfulness for all eternity. If you keep your eyes on the Lord, knowing what me, that he means good for you, rejoicing in him always again and again. Romans 12, 12 says rejoice in hope, be patient, be constant. If we keep these things in mind, joy is found in God's presence within his parameters. It's found in our pursuit and in our persistence. If we keep these in mind, we will find the desire to always, to rejoice always and be filled with joy always. We will see the awesome privilege before us every day at serving God. Even on the hard days, we won't be emptied, we will remain full. 
King David prayed at the lowest point of his life, restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. As in David had become a king that was going through the motions. He was doing things because that's what he was supposed to do religiously and ritualistically. But David wanted that passion back. He wanted the joy that God promised him. Can we, can we pray this together? Can we say this together? I think we can. Restore to me, restore to me the, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Restore to me the joy of my salvation because God's given to us. Now, if you're burnt out, if you're frustrated, if you're falling out of orbit into the teeth of sin, Jesus is pulling you back today. His spirit is drawing you and he's saving you constantly. Will we fix our eyes on him and determine to receive and retain the joy that's on the table for us? God in heaven is giving it today, giving it to us today. He will invite us. The question is, will we come and get it? God can give you a breakthrough today and make you strong and joy. Restore to us the joy of salvation in his presence, in his parameters. Our pursuit, our persistence. Let me pray for you. Amazing opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you that you are a God who gives joy to your people. God, I think a lot of us today, for different reasons, maybe we've been just burnt out by trying to do the best we can, but we've been focused on the wrong things. We've been focused on the numbers and the metrics of it all. We've been focused on the worldly uh, idea of success. Maybe we've, we've just grown wearied because we, we've allowed other people's opinions to get under our skin and other people's ideas. For whatever reason, all of us get frustrated and burn out and, and, and we get distracted and we don't dwell on your plan and your will and your delight and our joy is emptied. Lord, the story of Samson encourages us, encourages me because you gave him a gift and he was enjoying it. Lord, I believe that you wanna put us all, put that spirit in all of us and you wanna keep us at the right place in orbit of Jesus, around and surrounding Jesus. You want to give us that joy that salvation is all about. Lord, maybe somebody just needs to come and confess that they've, uh, they've been drinking from the wrong well, they've been focusing on the wrong things. Maybe somebody just generally needs to be encouraged and Lord, would you speak to them and raise them up and remind them that you chose them, you love them, you've saved them and that you wanna fill their hearts up with joy today. Lord, help that married couple, help that family, help that workplace, help that classroom, help that area that is struggling on joy today. Would you fill the hearts of your people like only you can. Renew us and revive us and restore us in Jesus' name, amen.